Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Good morning, and uh, I'm Robert Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are uh, so glad that you uh, are here to join us for the continuation of our series called Christmas Unwrapped. Before we get into that, though, we have a little bit of... Uh, of a favor to ask those of you, if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, we have been conducting a survey of the congregation. It's helping us in part as we're in our 11-year anniversary uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're going to be doing a, an evaluation and assessment of where we're at. Now, we already have hundreds of these back, and we're beginning the work of compiling them. So we're really excited about getting all this information. But we know that some of you uh, have not yet had an opportunity to fill this out. So the ushers are going to come forward and you're just going to give them a discreet little hello and they're going to hand you a survey because we would like every single person, even if this is your first time here at the church, uh, we would love for you to just give them a little wave and uh, you can uh, fill this out for us. It takes about seven minutes. It is anonymous and uh, we really do hope to get everybody we possibly can represented uh, and hear uh, kind of your opinions, your thoughts, and it'll help us uh, kind of gauge where we're at as a congregation and where we need to go in the future and all of that kind of stuff. So big help for us. Take about seven minutes. Then you can go ahead and just fold it up and drop it in the offering basket at the end of the service. All right. Thank you guys uh, so much. It'll be fun as we start kind of uh, processing all the data from it. And I'll be uh, reporting back to you guys some of the, the, the things that we're finding out from it. So it should be, uh, should be very intriguing. Anyway, this is, uh, as I mentioned, the Christmas Unwrapped series, and this Unwrapped series comes with some challenges. Now, the whole series is dedicated to helping us understand the gifts that we have been given and how those gifts that we have been given can be given to other people. So, for instance, last week, we looked at prayer, the gift of prayer, and how is it we, that we could use prayer to give to other people. The prayer that we have access to now because we're children of God, how do we give that to people, especially people who are far from God? That is the particular focus of the Christmas Unwrapped series. How is it that we can take the gifts that we have been given in Christ and give those gifts to people who are far from God, non-Christians? So that's the focus here. And there are some challenges that go along with each of the weeks of each of the messages in this series. And those challenges are for those of you who are tough enough to complete them. Those who are going to give uh, the little extra, you'll have the endurance and the sacrificial nature to in actually complete those challenges. And so we'll talk more about that uh, toward the end here. Now, for this morning, one of the, the focus that we want to talk about is really one of the greatest gifts that we have been given. And if you think about it, it fits really nicely when you think about this, the, when, you, when you reflect on the Christmas season. 
because one of the greatest parts of the Christmas season are the meals that we get to have. I mean, isn't that the reality? How many folks, and not just the food, that's a, that's a great part of it as well, but it's the meals. It's the, how many of you have already been to a Christmas party besides Christmas Fest? So, yeah, we already have a few. Now, how many of you are at Christmas Fest? Because that, that's still legit. We had food there, so it's a real Christmas party. That was an amazing party, by the way. Really great job to everyone. You guys were, were really, you guys, you did an amazing, all of it. It was really great, and uh, we had a great time, and I know a lot of people were blessed by it. And that's part of what we do. You know, we, we get together and we share meals around this time of year. And if you think about the most important relationships in your life or the people that make the most significant impact on your life, you will often find that you spend time breaking bread with those people. That's just the reality of how life works. And all, there's just cultures all over the world. Sharing a meal together is a sign of welcoming people in. It's a sign of extending your friendship. It's often used as a way of bringing reconciliation between people who had, all, had somehow become estranged. So you come and you share a meal together, and in that you give each other respect and you give each other love. That's what the, that's what the shared meal is all about. That's why we, we create these little tables of love. Of course, researchers have been telling us for decades that family time for meals is very, very important. Family time around a table, very important. Over the last couple of decades, parents, of course, have known this for a long time, but they say, researchers tell us that sharing a family meal is good for the spirit, the brain, and the health of all people in the family. Recent studies actually link regular family dinners with all sorts of behaviors that parents usually would long for in their children. So, for instance, lower rates of substance abuse, lower rates of teen pregnancy, lower rates of depression, as well as higher GPAs, and increased resilience in your children. Who wouldn't want all of those things for our kids? And it's as simple as sharing meals together on a regular basis. Is that amazing? We all knew this. We, all, we, we have a sense of this already. And it isn't just family meal time that matters. And I think this is also a really neat part of this. The Journal of Personality and Social Psychology says that social connectedness, whether hanging out after work or sitting down at the table with friends and family for a nightly meal, has been shown to increase happiness and help alleviate depression. So forget just the family meal. The time that we get to be together. Another researcher, Lynn Giles, she said that the central message is that maintaining a sense of social embeddedness through friends and family appears pretty important for survival. And it seems that non-kin relationships are particularly important. Non-kin relationships, particularly important for us. U.S. News, their take on it was that the weekday lunch has superpowers. Here's why. Eating with coworkers may help build camaraderie, foster deeper work relationships, and boost productivity. Pretty incredible. One study that they quoted from the Journal of Human Performance said that firefighters who eat together actually perform better 
in their life and death roles than those who don't. Pretty good. That sounds like a nice side benefit. Kevin Kniffen, he's a uh, professor in uh, the School of Applied Economics at Cornell. He said there's a different kind of intimacy that comes with sharing food and drink with somebody. A different kind of intimacy by sharing food and drink. The kind of bonding that can come through eating together has value in terms of cohesion in the work team. See, we know this. This is important to gather up, to gather up around a table to share bread to break it together, to eat and share life in this way is vital. And in the ancient world, it was even more important than it is for us today. The value that they put upon it. And we will constantly find Jesus eating with people. He has numerous parables where he's talking about meals or parties, banquets, wedding feasts. And he regularly participated. You remember the party he had with Zacchaeus. He went over to his house to hang out for a little while. He invited his disciples to continue to eat with him, including a, an impromptu breakfast party. He had dinner with Simon the leper, a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. There was, of course, the wedding at Cana. I mean, this guy, he loved to eat and drink. So much so that a New Testament scholar, Robert Karras, he says that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. <laughs> that's, who, that's who he is. So much so that his enemies accuse him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Imagine, how many times has somebody accused us because of the incredible amount of time we spend hanging out with people, eating and drinking? How many of us have been called a glutton and a drunkard? <laughs> Apparently just me. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a real question. He also saw a lot of people upset at him for actually eating with people. Why? Because in the ancient world, eating with people was a sign of acceptance. He was bringing them in with this familial love. It's as if Jesus was inviting all of these people that he was trying to spend time with, sharing bread. He was inviting all of these people into a deep and a personal relationship with himself. He was saying, I want you as part of my family. I want you at my table. I want table fellowship with you. And his critics hated him for this. And this relationship that we have with Jesus is an incredible gift. It is an incredible gift that many of us have already unwrapped. It's an incredible gift. See, part of the reason that Jesus came to earth was so that he could actually be with us. Remember that great Christmas passage, Isaiah 7:14? Isaiah 7:14, he said, "Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel." And of course, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. The Christmas story is about God trying to be with us. I think the reason that Jesus loved mealtime was because it was people time. It was people time. Of course he would love it. He was sent here to be with us. God with us. So we're going to take a look this morning at one of these meals in Matthew chapter 9 
verse 9. Matthew chapter 9, if you could open up in a Bible. Matthew 9, verse 9. Just outside of the Christmas story in Matthew. He's just collecting his merry band of followers. And then we enter into this scene. And what we see here is that one of the greatest gifts that we have been given is this privilege of being with Jesus. And you can think about this, you can personalize this as you with Jesus. This is you with Jesus. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So who is Matthew. So Matthew is a tax collector. Any of you here work for the IRS? <laughs> Would any of you here admit to working for the IRS? And of course, there's always a little bit of hesitation. And why it makes us feel a little bit of awkward is because not a lot of us aren't super fond of taxes, you know, except those of you that like, you know, collect it and make your earnings off of it, which is sort of ironic. But, you know, in many parts of the, of the country and in the world, Tax collectors look down upon because of what they represent. Often, oppressive governments. Not always the case, but very often. So they, were, they can often be despised. In the ancient world, especially in Israel, they were particularly despised. Now, why would that be? So the way it worked back then is tax collectors were employed by the Romans. Now, in that day and age, the Romans were the occupying enemy in Israel. They had already conquered the land of Israel. So they were uh, living under the oppressive rule of the Romans. So what the Romans did is they would hire locals in order to, be, to, to collect the taxes. But why would you hire a local? So the Romans are hiring Jews because it's the Jews in the land who actually know how their systems work, how their economic systems and their social networks are all connected. You hire a local guy and he'll know what are the, the best trade routes. What are the, little, the, what are the little deals that get brokered in the back rooms? Where do they hide the extra cargo of fish on their boats? You know, how do you tax them fully? If you know all their tricks and you know all the local uh, the ways that they do business, you can fully tax them. So the Romans would hire locals in order to collect the money that the Romans were using to occupy their land. So think about this. How angry you would be at your fellow citizen who's taking your money to pay your enemy to continue to take your money and oppress you. That was the plight of the tax collectors in ancient Israel. And they had a lot of power. So now, once they were told how much to collect for Rome, how much they needed to give to the Roman government, guess how the tax collectors got paid? Anything extra they could collect. So now you can imagine the kind of heavy-handed tactics, the kind of extortion that could take place. All the more they could squeeze out of you, they would live in luxury. So they were often very wealthy and established people because of the excess money they were squeezing from their fellow citizens. Yes, despised. And because they were sort of like, they were tax collectors, but they were also like customs and, 
you know, and like border, you know how you do, you know, do you, you do trade and you can tax them for all the trade that comes in as well. They were kind of like a combination of toll collectors and tax, so they're like IRS and easy pass collectors with the rights to search and seizure. That, that's kind of who they were. Imagine that in your world. They just stop your car, they take what they want, and uh, you say thank you for doing it. So I need a volunteer to be a tax collector this morning. Can I get a, a volunteer to be a tax collector? I want somebody who's going to be Matthew for me. So you're perfect, June. Excellent. Thank you for volunteering. Come on up, June. June is gonna. June is gonna be Matthew, and June is gonna stand here with a big pile of money right over here that is not his own. This is yours, and June now has it. Thank you, June, for taking all of this money from us. So that is that's Matthew. So he is hated by everyone except. Well, other, other tax collectors, of course, because how could you hate someone who would do that? Rome certainly loves them, and all the people that benefit from Roman dollars. Also, anyone who wants some of the bag of money. So who are the kinds of people that want that bag of money? All the rest of the sinners. All the people that would also be despised. So you've got the gamblers, and you've got the partiers, and you have the prostitutes, and all you've got now is Matthew being isolated from his own people, surrounded by a whole lot of people that want access to this big pile of cash. All of his friends, the group of sinners that Matthew would have identified with as his new family. Yet Jesus saw him. That's what the text says. It saw, he saw him. He fixes his eyes on Matthew, and he chose him. He chose him. This wasn't some haphazard thing. It wasn't coincidence. Jesus, Jesus sought him out. So I need a Jesus. I need a Jesus. Who's going to be Jesus? Perfect. Excellent. You've done Jesus before, right, Liffy? Come on up. Thank you so much for volunteering, Liffy, because you didn't have enough last night. So here's Jesus. Perfect. This is great for you. <laughs> He's been Jesus before. He's actually, I've wanted to be Jesus, and he took the role. Um, and so there he is. Jesus just got out of bed, um, and he put on, that's a robe. This is classic. This is vintage ancient Israel. So there we go. Um, so this is uh, Jesus here, and Jesus, you see, you're going to come over here, and you see Matthew. And what you do is you fix your eye on him, and you know he's a sinner. You know he's despised. But that's all right, because you walk over to him anyway. And you're going to call him out. Be friendly. Yeah, see, that's better. There you go. <laughs> He's got, he calls him out. And he fixes his eyes. It isn't haphazard. It's not a coincidence. And he is actively. Now, Matthew, he wrote this version of the story. But we actually know something from another version of it, because Matthew downplays this whole scene, because he's writing about himself, and so there's some sort of humility that pops in here. But for, the, for Luke, Luke gives us the full story. In Luke chapter 5, he says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. But you're looking at him. He saw a tax collector who was sitting at his tax booth. We'll just actually put, you here, put your butt down on that. And he was sitting at his tax booth, and he said, Follow me. Yes, with gusto. Follow me. Yes, follow me. <laughs> and Jesus said to him, uh, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up. Levi is the same name. It's the same guy, two names. Levi, Matthew, same guy. And Levi got up, and look what it says. He got up. He left everything and followed him. 
left everything. That's the version that Luke gives us. He left everything. He left the whole big bat. You're going to leave everything? <laughs> See? See, he leaves it. It's over. It's gone. It's, he leaves it. And now you're here. You see? You're here. He leaves everything. See, because I think Matthew knew that there wasn't going to be room at the table with Jesus and him and the big bag of his past. It's not going to be there. There's no room. So you're going to go ahead and take him over. And Matthew, you're going to take the seat of honor there. And Jesus, you're the host. So go ahead and, you know, spread out this great table. You're the host. You're the banquet. You know, the master of ceremonies in a sense here. Go ahead and pour out the enjoy. Pour some drinks. Help yourself to the muffins and some fruit. Help. This is a you're the host, but you do it because I'm not, I'm not Jesus. Um, so, Jesus, you could pour. Go ahead and pour. It's... It's actually grape juice, but uh, go ahead and pour it out. Really fine vintage grape juice. And what's going on here is Matthew has now decided to embrace something better than what he had. And there was no going back, you know. The disciples, the other disciples, they left all of their, their boats and their nets, and they could always return to their fishing. Matthew's done. You don't go back and get this gig again. He'll be replaced immediately by someone else who's bidding for this job. And once he gets it, he's not returning. This is it. His decision to follow means it's over for him. <laughs> and here's the thing. Jesus is calling you to follow him. He's calling each and every one of us to follow him. He's saying, I want to be close to you. I want table fellowship with you. I want to share life with you. And you know, and some of you here today, you've, you've, you've never decided to follow Jesus. You've never been able to make the decision. In fact, we've just started compiling the survey results, and what we have so far is some 25% of you have probably never made this decision. One in four. You can count them out. One, two, three, four. No, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. At 25% of you have, have never made this decision to leave your old life behind and enjoy table fellowship with Jesus. And there's another group of you here. You want to follow him, but you're just not so sure you can leave it behind. You're not so sure that your old life isn't better than the new life. You're not sure that you trust him enough to say, what you represent here, the family that you are here at this table, is more important to you. You didn't even light your... <laughs> Jesus is the light of the world. He's supposed to be, like, lighting the world. And so this is important for us. Now, for some of you here, you've already made this decision. You're already sitting where Matthew is sitting, and you're saying, you know what? I have made a decision to sit at this table with Jesus. I want table fellowship with him. And if you have done this, then you have experienced one of the great gifts. You've made this decision, willing to leave everything behind, and you have been folded into a new family. And this is one of the greatest gifts now that you can be sharing with others. One of the greatest gifts, because now it is you with them, with Jesus. You see how that works, right? Because now you get to be an influence in the lives of other people. Take a look at verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So now there's a party suddenly, and Jesus is hanging out with all of the sinners. 
But Luke once again gives us more details as to how this happened. In Luke 5, 29, he says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. This wasn't just a party they all happened to show up to. Levi did this. Matthew held a great banquet. He took the remaining resources that he had. He took his assets and he invested it in throwing a great big party for Jesus. A Matthew party. The kind of a party where a large crowd of tax collectors and others could come and hang out with Jesus. I mean, pretty cool, right? Jesus throwing a, uh, Matthew throwing a party for Jesus? So what I need you to do, Matthew, is I need you to go get us two sinners. This is one sinner, and that's another sinner. So get us a couple of sinners out there and bring them up to the table with Jesus. So it shouldn't be hard to find a couple of good sinners in this room. So come on up. we got seats for you here. Matthew's bringing you. He's kind of careful of your state. You can come around this side if you want. And so... <laughs> So, and Jesus, you're welcoming, you're the host, bring them in, you're going to make them feel welcome and loved, and you didn't even get up. There you go, yep, yep. All right, yeah, see, offer them up some food and pour them some drinks, remember, no, it's, it's great, she got, <laughs> good point, all right, well taken. See, because now we get to introduce our friends to him, the followers now get to join in on the family. We get to introduce him to more people who are far from him. Why is it you think that Matthew would throw, you guys, look, you're enjoying the party. Go ahead and enjoy, eat, manja. You're supposed to be doing all this, by the way. You're the host, so, yeah. Do you want a cookie, Jesus? Why would Matthew throw a party for Jesus? You know, you know why. Matthew is so overwhelmed with having been folded into the family. He's so impressed. He's so drawn by the hope about his life, the forgiveness that he's experienced, the acceptance by a genuinely great man, a rabbi of renown, of power, of compassion. He has been folded in this family, and Matthew can't help himself. What else would he do except throw a party for his friends to experience the same thing that he experienced. Now, the religious people of his day thought that inviting all of these people into the life of Christ and into relationship with him was a terrible idea. A terrible idea. Jesus, he's inviting everyone into his inner circle, even the marginalized people. But look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have, come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I need a priest. I need a religious Pharisee. Who's going to help me out here? Go ahead, Rick Connor. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. This is not a shawl or a scarf. This is a religious vestment now. All right? So you can't, you know, you smile too much. You can't smile. You're going to have to give me a scowl. Give me, yeah. No, that's, oh, that's believable. Uh, no, so you're, now you're going to be, now you're standing over here. Now picture the scene that, that, that is being painted for us here, right? The scene is such, the Pharisees saw this. 
So they're over here, they're gazing in, they're peering in, but they're not part of this. In fact, they can't be a part of it. They don't want to be a part of this. Because, of course, they're saying, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Go ahead and give him a scowl, right? Come on. How, why? How could they do this? I'll be one of the disciples that's kind of talking to it and Je talking about it. But Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What do you desire? Mercy, not sacrifice. So that's Jesus' answer. So over here on one side are the religious people who think they've got it all together. But if you see the, the chasm, they're separated from the actual experience of the presence of God. That's the picture that's being painted. And the Pharisees want it this way. The religious leaders want it this way. Because they want to keep their distance from the undesirables. And they believe that being with these people would make them unclean. And they believe that being with these people would give other people reason to talk bad about them. So I need my distance. I need to keep my purity. And Jesus calls them out by quoting the Bible. He actually sort of insults them a little bit because he's saying, in the prophet Hosea, who said this very thing, they, I require mercy, not sacrifice. He's, when he's telling him, go and read, go and, go and check this out. What he's telling him is he's implying here is that they don't know the Bible. That they don't understand this little bit of God's word. Maybe you should go and study up a little bit. Imagine how they, what do you mean me study? I know the Bible. I know these, this, I know the prophet Hosea. You could hear the indignation forming in their hearts. And Jesus is saying, no, you missed it. You missed it because I don't want sacrifice. You know, the religious people, they think that they're doing good because they make great sacrifices. Maybe they're giving money. They help build the temple. They're volunteering in all of the different ministries in the temple. Maybe they're reading their Bibles every day. Maybe they're praying every day. Maybe they're, they're keeping themselves holy. They're separating themselves out from the sin in the world. Or maybe they're in a discipleship group. Or maybe they're in a growth group. And maybe they're participating in, in, in reading other things and learning about all this stuff. You see, all of these are sacrifices that they make. And there's nothing wrong with these sacrifices. And Jesus says, but I desire mercy. Because you can be doing all of these things. This is a powerful word. This word for mercy, it's the representation of God's covenantal love. It's that word hesed. And it's a powerful, it's rich theological word. And he's saying, listen, this is God's covenant love. This is who he was with Abraham. And it's why Jesus came. It's his covenant love. And that's what he requires, mercy. And according to Jesus... When the, the Pharisees are pulling away from people in order to try to draw near to God, Jesus is saying, you want to draw near to God, you need to draw near to people because that's where you can find mercy. And that's what I want. The rest of it may be fine, but we need mercy. We need you to experience and be able to give the kind of love that God gave to us in Christ. Can we just thank the volunteers for coming up here? Thank you guys so much. You can head back in. Take your muffin. Thank you. The smile. That was a smiley Pharisee there. Was... You take that with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the question for you guys, for all of you here. And here, this is the important part. It's a question you have to ask yourself. Have you accepted Jesus' invitation to eat? Have you accepted his invitation to join him at the table? Because here's the thing. Before you can be his disciple, you need to understand, you need to recognize that you're the tax collector. You're the sinner. 
I'm the sinner. And that's good news because Jesus wants us at his table. Before we can become disciples, we need, to, we need to recognize that we need his forgiveness, that we need his mercy. And when we become recipients of that mercy, when we experience that mercy, then our hearts are transformed. And this is such good news. He wants us at his banquet. It is an incredible gift. And it's true you're going to have to leave your old life behind, but it is so worth it because you get a new family. And you're never going to be able to give people the gift of a relationship with Jesus. You're never going to be able to invite people to come and join him at his table until you accept it for yourself. And if you have, then you can give this gift to others. And you know, sometimes when people become Christians, they start to pull away from all of their non-Christian friends. And I understand there might be some special circumstances as to why you're doing this. It's understandable, but it is regrettable. It's regrettable because when you do this, you're pulling away from people that Jesus loves. Maybe, you know you, you, you know, you think about your social circles. You know, you cannot surround yourself exclusively with Christians and still be able to invite people to Jesus' table. This means you're pulling away from the people that Jesus loves. Or maybe it's not that at all. Maybe instead it's your own selfishness. This happens to each and every one of us. We pull away from people that can't help us. We pull away from the marginalized. We pull away from the people that don't help our social status. We pull away from the people that we'll, we have to give to. We want to be able to take from our relationships. And so maybe we're pulling away from these socially marginalized or despised people. And when we do this, we're pulling away from the people that Jesus loves. And our mission in this world requires far more than casual contact with sinners. In the same way that Jesus drew near to us and invited us to the table. It's what he's calling us to do in this world. He is bringing people together. So here is your challenge. I told you there are challenges that go with each of the messages. The challenge is that we want you to leverage the power of shared meals this month. Leverage the power of shared meals. We want you to eat with your friends who are far from God. All of us can do this. This is a challenge that every one of us can take up because who doesn't love a good meal? Who doesn't love an opportunity to sit at a table and share life and tell stories and laugh and maybe cry as we get to invest in each other's lives in a significant way? So we told you guys that there's a toolkit that the outreach team has made for you. They got a bunch of ideas that help you get going. If you didn't get this last week, then pick it up on your way out. Uh, there's all sorts of neat little ideas on kinds of parties, a cookie exchange, a beer exchange, going out for a meal, throwing a themed party like an ugly sweater party or something like that. All sorts of ideas that you can do to start to share life together in this way. And of course, if you complete this challenge, you will get what? another piece of your Christmas ornament. And so this is so important because you want to have a complete Christmas ornament by the end of this, and you will get the Christmas picnic blanket to add to your beach scene. And you just tuck it in there, and you've gotten another piece of your puzzle to add to the prayer scroll that we did last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please talk to the folks at the table in the back and they will be able to tell you. So throw a Matthew party this month. Throw a Matthew party. If your life has been changed by the mercy of Jesus, by the chesed of Jesus, then invite others into his mercy. 
Jesus wants to sit and have a meal with them, and he will do this through you. This is so simple. It's so straightforward. Get a group of folks together. Find some others who who experience the mercy of God. Bring along some of your Christ-following friends and bring along a whole group of people who are far from God and mix them up and see what happens. Let them be the conduit through which people can come to know and understand and experience the love of Jesus. There's other challenges that are going to be coming, but this is the one we wanted to highlight for you today and encourage each and every one of you to participate in. So I'm going to ask that the band would uh, come up. They're going to be leading us here in a uh, song as we kind of prepare our hearts to come to uh, the Lord's table. And as they do this, I want us to be reflecting on what it will look like for each and each one of us here, on what it would look like to begin to experience the love and the mercy of Christ in this way. I want to pray for us, actually, before we, we kind of move into this, uh, this moment at this time of reflection. And what I want you to focus on is the gift of mercy that Jesus showed to you and what it would look like to share that mercy with others. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking that you would stir up each one of our hearts what you've given to us here, this sacrifice that you laid out, your life in exchange for ours, the promise of closeness with you, of a personal relationship. Lord, that's what we want. We want to feel that so acutely. We want to experience it so powerfully that you, Lord, will cause it to overflow into the lives of the people that we love. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.